Hello and welcome to another episode of DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry. I've got kind of a long one, so I'm not going to weigh you guys down in the intro too much. This week I am talking with my good friend Stephen Sorrow of the band Unteachers, formerly of Tantrum of the Muse. And we're going to rediscover the album A Human Comedy by Unteachers. So we're going to get deep. We're going to talk about a few things that are actually kind of personal and things that I think people are going to be able to relate to in a way that they may not be expecting. So without further ado, let's talk with Steven about a human comedy. Yeah, I mean, as far as the recording itself goes, it's... I always really, really liked it. It's funny. I actually remember showing this record because I was really excited about it when you sent it to me. So I was like showing it to all my friends and stuff. And I remember being like, I, I showed it to a friend of mine. He's like a really, really good friend of mine. So I'm not slamming him, but his reaction was hilarious because he was like, he's like, man, I really, really like these songs. These are really, really good. He's like, but like, why does it, why does it sound the way that it sounds? And I was like, well, because it just sounds that way. I don't. I don't know. What do, you, what do you want? I guess it was like intention. He's like, I don't know. He's like, he's like, for music like that, I'm used to hearing it being like really, really big and really, really loud. I think it sounds big and loud. I just think um, it doesn't sound live. You know, nothing right. I ever do does sound live. Tantrum of the Muse albums don't sound like us live. <clears throat> if you were to see us live, did you ever see us live? I did not ever see Tantrum live. You guys were supposed to play Cornerstone a couple times. Every time I showed up and you guys were on the bill, you either didn't show up or I missed it. Yeah, it got rough there at the end. But um, if you had seen us live, it was a totally different experience. Like a wall of sound, heavy, loud, stuff played twice as fast, just bonkers. But the albums, never. I would say especially the second album. You would think it maybe would have been the first album that we... The first album just sounds terrible because we just didn't even know what we were doing. But the second album, in a studio and everything, there's no... It's nowhere near as heavy as what those songs... The modern music songs on the album are not even half as heavy as what we sounded like live with that stuff. And that's everything I've done. I think that... I think that especially at that time, there was like no... There was no really... There was no real rule book on how to record bands like that. Like, people knew how to record metal bands, right? But as far as this, this like, more kind of indie sort of stuff, I'm using indie very broadly here, but I think that with it being kind of more of a, try, trying to go for, like, more of this, like, unhinged feeling or whatever, a dude that's sitting there, his whole job is just to sort of turn turn knobs on a board is going to be like, well, I'm going to turn this down, or I'm going to I'm gonna fade this feedback out, you know, into the into the background, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play with it, you know, to get it to, to sound more presentable. Yeah. And uh, for anybody just tuning in, I keep saying tuning in, nobody tunes into a podcast. You just... You, <laughs> You just click it, but uh, I'm talking to Steven Sorrow of Unteachers, and we, we, we were talking about the album A Human Comedy, and uh, it's a record I've been raving about for, for years. I told your cousin at one point in a text message that I would punch my own grandmother in the face to have a debut album that good. I'm, gla- I'm glad you didn't have to punch your grandmother. The, the offer was never on the table. Yeah, I never, I, I, I never had, I never had like the devil with like like a great debut album, you know, in one hand, and you know what I needed to do, you know, in the other, in order to get that album. But I'm flattered, but 
I'm glad grandma's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, she's in a yeah. she's in a better place now for sure. But I think that this record is interesting and the reason we're having this chat tonight is because a human comedy has been out since 2014 and it's a record that I feel like not enough people have heard and we're not going to do a promo, but I, I found that sometimes hearing about what went into a record and, and getting to know the people behind it a little bit better, you can kind of start connecting those dots in a way that makes you curious you know so if if we tell you a story about something that was happening with steven when this was being written or being recorded or maybe even what some of the songs were about that you can relate to i would hope that that will form some sort of curiosity in your mind to match that to the song that's the entire point of uh that's the entire point of this podcast uh right now is is sort of seeing how we can interweave music into our lives instead of it being just this sort of like disposable kind of entertainment that's cool, man. I, yeah, I'm uh, happy happy to not have it be a promo either. But but also, um, uh, yeah, it's an album that's been out since 2014 and could sure use a promo because the entire album is. I, I'd always say it's sitting in my my merch closet, where nobody knows it exists, uh, and that's the truth. On the other side of this wall uh, is boxes of records and CDs. Just we're just it's just one of those albums. It just fell on deaf ears you know and and wherever it did get a review you know like you know it did get a couple write-ups hm stuff like that raved about it said it was great one of the best records of the year i kept hearing people say that you know best record of the year but you know we don't play live so what do you expect they also didn't say a solid state at the bottom of it right you know yeah that yeah <laughs> you know, it's just one of those, dude. You should have, you should have jumped on with tooth and nail whenever that, uh, whenever that buyout. I, I was just gonna say, so like, you know, I always think back, like, had we taken the tooth and nail deal back in the day, they would have made us re-record the heart as a two-headed sperm. I always fantasize, what would it sound like, redone in their terms? And I don't know. Sometimes I think, well, well, there's certainly improved. It would certainly be improved, but there would also be some charm about it that completely gone. And the reason we said no back then was because we knew we had something unique. I think some of the uniqueness would have gotten washed out have had we re re redone it. Because some of what made it unique was the complete ignorance that we had. None of us knew how to even play our instruments. We much less go into a place and record. The fact that it came out, the fact that it even exists and had some kind of a sound at all was the magic. And it, I might even say it was accidental. So. Re-recording it probably would have polished it up, made it like slick, but we would have lost some of what I think makes it weirdly unique and timeless in some way. Yeah, I think doing anything over again, like a like a redo, you know, it's like it's like a, a popular band. Uh, I think Testament did it uh, at one point in their career where they re-recorded an old album or re-recorded a bunch of old songs, and you can always sort of make that argument of like. Yeah, I mean, this is cool, I guess, but it doesn't have the same uh, piss and vinegar, right? Or it doesn't have the same, exactly the same feelings associated with it because right. we're, we're different people almost every day sometimes, right? With, with how we perceive things and, uh, and, and you know, you, you don't necessarily change who you are. So you can, you can sort of mimic the sounds that you once made, <laughs> you know? We re-recorded some of the songs in 2003. For a demo, we were basically going to rebrand the band and try and shop it and get signed to a different label. In 2003, we went in a um, we rented a barn 
and we did like a it was like the primitive days of home studios so you know the quality is terrible it's actually available on Bandcamp and under the it's called the um what did i call it heart surgery i think it's called heart surgery heart EP. surgery yeah yeah and it's um just obviously in reference to the heart is a to a sperm redone or whatever um repaired um we did we ended up doing like a couple modern music songs as well we re-recorded like a demo and that's what that is and in that demo we recorded a lot of it live because we really wanted to capture the live sound of the band and um all this to say redoing those first songs you can you can change it and you can improve things but you can never i don't know like there's something missing when we redid it and i think it is just sort of that quirkiness of just not knowing what we were doing and having kind of discovered the that stuff together when we played it for like a bunch of years and we were like slick with it and then we went in and recorded these demos that's basically you just got like slick live versions of the song that might be better to some people and i do think we did improve some things but no matter it's like george lucas with star wars it's like no matter what you do someone's gonna come along and be like oh you took away that one little thing i love that little like sound you know right that, right that, that i gravitated to it made the thing so much more magical for me and i it, now with modern music i don't give a crap i i am going to george lucas the shit out of that album whenever i can figure out how to get these these analog reels baked and digital and all that stuff i'm remixing that thing because that we have four track demos of that album that are so crushingly heavy like songs like chicks with guns like, bah, 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 bah. oh yeah you should have heard the demos of that it was so heavy we got in the studio and nick rotundo rest in peace he would leave the room get super high he'd come back into the to the session and we didn't know this till about midway through that he was like go because he his apartment was upstairs he'd go upstairs he'd He'd smoke a ton of weed, come down, and he'd be super high, and he'd sit down, and then he'd start turning knobs. And all he did, I swear, he just turned mids up. Everything on the album's like, there's no reverbs, there's no room sound. Everything's like mids. And there's nothing crushing, and nothing heavy. And funny enough, Narcissus came behind us, like literally, like we were walking out, they were walking in. Hi, nice to meet you, we're about to go on tour together. And and um, they did um, New Wave Techno Homicide. And it's if you listen to those two albums, Modern Music and New Wave, back to back, it's got the same MIDI problem. Yeah, they they sound kind of thin. Yeah, in this in this totally. weird way. Yeah, and especially like because I, I, you know, I, I did go see Narcissist live, uh, but the uh, I saw them many times. <laughs> but those New Wave techno songs, yeah, like way, way, way heavier than than what they were on the record. And yeah, well, and I always that, did kind of wonder that, like why why that was. And so, like, you know, with, with the Take Hole Records summer, you know, we all had new albums coming out, Under Oath, Did Cries of the Past. They had recorded wherever they recorded, and it sounded great. And so, like, half of... Chad got, like, half of the the albums of the summer sounding like Nick Rotundo, highest shit, MIDI albums. And then you got, like, these heavy albums, like Feel Left Standing and uh, Under Oath sounding... It's unfortunate, but we have the I have the reels, and I'm gonna figure out a way to somehow reissue it and make it sound the way it's supposed to sound. Is even when we tracked it, it sounded heavy. Everything sounded heavy. But and the other thing was like Jim was playing with a fretless, and so where when Jim would tune his fretless, 
wherever he put his finger is where it would tune. Right. Like he was, but then, but see, Nick Nick Rotundo. By the way, Nick Rotundo. If anyone doesn't know, he did a lot of the Huntington albums. Did some voices, fire, did stuff like that. He was a a, a Delaware studio. Anyway, um, Nick insisted on tuning it himself. Everything. Give me the guitar. I will tune it. And then I will hand it back to you and play it. Every time we did a song or take, he would retune. Well, he was tuning Jim's bass, but he didn't put the fingers on the frets where Jim put the fingers. So when Jim would start playing the song, everything sounded completely out of tune. And I'm not kidding when I tell you, it might have been a day, two days of Take Whole Records money just being spent on us handing the thing back and forth, going, why is this thing still out of tune? We couldn't figure it out. And it was oh, as simple, simple as that one other person was the tuner and one person was playing wow so a lot of weird stuff like that happened and just took the piss out of that album but but um yeah going all the way back to what you were saying human comedy you know we recorded on a zero dollar budget a buddy you know with a basement studio i mean if you know the context of what that album was and how it was made and just all the crazy of like starting over and equipment breakdowns all the stuff and you think about the fact that no one there was no financial backing for it. It's pretty damn good, actually, considering considering it's it was like making a making something out of nothing. But um, when I listen to it, I just hear all the things that it could have been, sure, and all the, and all the things that I know are wrong about it. Certainly, uh, uh, and this is I'm, I'm not trashing Travis and, and uh, Josh at all, but you know, there's just a lack of. Um, certainly a lack of bass presence um in the mix you, you know there's stuff going on on the bass guitar on human comedy that if you knew it if you could hear it you'd be like oh oh that's way crazier of a song and you just don't hear it yeah but i hear it in my mind and go damn it <laughs> well you know it's you talked about it this is this is the sort of stuff i like i like ripping scabs open uh, on this podcast you know and just kind of letting them bleed out everywhere because you talk about the hardship or the frustration of, of doing a rebrand. And we were talking before we started recording about how, you know, that, that a human comedy could have been a tantrum album. What uh, what led you to want to do a rebrand? Why not just call it tantrum and, and sort of bank on the uh, on the written name recognition? Because, I mean, even now, whenever you go on social media, people are you're like, yeah, I'm, Stephen, quote, quote, unquote, Stephen from Unteachers. People are like, uh, okay, and then you're like, no, he, you know, the guy from Tantrum of the Muse, and they're like, oh yeah, okay, you know, um, and as a guy that's sort of going through a rebrand right now myself, going going from an established thing into something new, uh, I'd be interested to hear um, why, how you came to that decision. Yeah. Okay, so when we started writing the third Tantrum of the Muse album in 2002 or three, whatever, and we didn't get too far into it, I had a bunch of stuff written, like demos and riffs. Um, some of those things made it onto a human comedy. So in, in some ways, I have to be blunt and say a human comedy is, in a lot of ways, the third Tantrum of the Muse album. I mean, by the simple pure fact that I wrote it with the intention of it being the third album in, in, in time with the run of Tantrum of the Muse. Um, Cusp is definitely one of those songs. Um, uh, maybe as bright as black. We didn't. I didn't get a lot. I was a lot of it got written after the fact, but there were some definite riffs and definitely some lyrics. Now, typically, what would happen is a band would say, "Well, 
I wrote these lyrics for a band that no longer exists, blah, blah, blah. But I like the idea that coexisting with my spiritual path, at the time Tantrum of the Muse broke up, I was pretty dark spiritually and I was in a pretty bad place um, because I'd been running around on, on the road with a band, not in a church, not not under any sort of spiritual authority other than my own, which is a terrible thing to do and no accountability. And so it kind of got toxic, more and more toxic. Plus that, that band was toxic, just the, the whole like package. It was a very confrontational and very, um, you know, just angry at the church kind of a thing. So it just sort of fed into it. So I come out of that, I come out of the, at the end of Tantrum Muse, kind of just needing to get back into focus on my spiritual faith and all. So, but then there were some things that I had written that I didn't quite know what to do with. And then I figured maybe I would do nothing with it, threw it away. But then I got into, um, into church and stuff and got reconnected and all. And then, um, and then actually discovered the gospel for a real way that wasn't just whatever my parents said. Like, you know, it was like, you know, you're, you go to church for years, you leave for many years. And now here I am, tantrum's done. And I'm discovering, uh, Christianity for real, right? Like for myself. Now within that, um, my lyrics started to change, and my um, approach to the stuff started to change. So I started writing songs for what would be on teachers. Well, when I, um, what I wanted to do conceptually, and what a human comedy is conceptually, is um, it's kind of like Pink Floyd's The Wall, but backwards. Like it's it's like a band in that in that album is a guy who's like mentally declining. In this one, I was kind of like um, starting out declined, and starting out in a dark place, and finding my faith, and and letting whatever that is become out outward. So when you flip this the album over, there's two completely different spiritual vibes going on, and I quite literally thought, well, how cool would it be the fact that I documented this place that I am no longer at and decided, you know, you know, like, like I was saying, typically people would just throw that away because it was part of something else they were working on. But for me, I thought, well, that's actually going to make this work good for the concept to actually take not, not write songs about the time I was there, but actually take the words from when I was there and then, um, start now and then write from where I'm at now. And then, you, you put it together and you go, wow, there's two completely different mindsets going on here. And that's what made it conceptual. So that's what, that's what that was. But, um, the reason why I didn't call it tantrum of the muse is because, um, out of respect for the band, the guys, Rick wasn't in on teachers. Jim wasn't in on teachers. And at the time we had tried to do a uh, tantrum of the muse, um, with different members because we just couldn't keep it together. Rick had joined the Huntington's, um, Jim was off on a boat, in Florida, living in Florida on a boat, and then he got evicted off this boat because of a storm that was coming, and he decided he had nowhere to go, so he came back to Lancaster, and it was just made sense to have him back in the band. Before that, I was working with an amazing bassist named Tyler Lambert, brother to Tom Lambert, who would be the original on Teacher's Drummer, if anyone remembers that um, first demo we did. But um, uh, anyway, I had had a new bass player, and I had added a keyboardist because we wanted to expand some sounds and stuff and it's i don't know rick came back in 2003 this is when we did the um heart surgery demos and 
I thought we were going to do a new album, everything was going to go great. And he said to me, it just doesn't feel the same. And he quit again. And after he quit again, I just had no steam left in me. And I thought, maybe this is a, this band's just like not spiritually supposed to be in my life right now. And at that time, it just seemed right. And and funny enough, I went, I actually published that we broke up because I figured if I just said it, it wouldn't matter. If I publish it, if I put it in some kind of permanent print, <laughs> that right. would mean that it was real. And I remember HM Magazine did a thing, and we I wrote uh, did a, they did a write up about it and said and I said uh, we're dead. You can probably still find it. Um, yeah, Tantrum Muse is dead, real permanent. And then. Um, like a week later, I met who would be my wife. So I, in my mind, I thought, well, God must be blessing the fact that I did this. Right. This, uh, I this is my reward. This, not, yeah. this is my reward for, for being obedient and getting, giving up this uh, demon in my life or whatever. But, but I mean, really, I loved Tantrum Muse. I would have loved to keep going. And I think it would have been cool to just see the, the, the journey play out. Because in my mind, when Rick and I, as we are right now, making a new teacher's record, we made a hard as a two at a sperm together, fresh out of high school. And all it was just the two of us and our chemistry and our energy together just be making music. Well, we're just doing that now. I, in a lot of ways, you know, it would be cool to say this is a tantrum and muse and just 20 years removed, you know. But um, I think the problem with that is, though, the tantrum and the muse fans, not all of them, but many of them are stuck 20 years ago. They're, they're stuck in those days. They don't like that we're not angry at the church like we used to be. And they don't like that we're angry at different things. And in some ways, things that are quite opposite from what we would have sung about 20 years ago. So I still get emails once in a blue moon from people. Man, you used to be somebody I looked up to. You used to be like so edgy and angry. And now look at you. You're like a, you know, some conservative weird blah, blah, blah. And I, and I always think to myself... Dude, I am probably angrier now than I've ever been in my entire life. So I don't know what you're talking about. It's just different stuff I'm angry about. You know? Maybe right. I'm angry at you. <laughs> you know? Not <laughs> right. you, you, Dan Terry, but just the person I'm talking to. Yeah. I, I don't feel like I've changed how I make music, how I approach writing lyrics, and certainly I don't think I'm writing happy songs in any capacity. But what's changed is my life. And I've said this in interviews in the past, especially with the Tantrum Muse stuff, is that if you're not, the whole point of being angry, the whole point of having angry music if, is that you're not happy with your life and you want something better for your life, right? Right. When, when, and I always go back to Korn, the first Korn album, because it's that one album that was so pissed angry about everything, right? Um, and, and like, you know, those bands continue to write a lot of really angry music that are very similar 20 years later and I, and my thought is like it would make more genuine it's more sense genuinely uh, it, it would be more genuine I should say that you, you start out super angry because you don't like what your life is you don't like that you feel that way and it's just what's coming out of you if it's real and if it's genuine it's coming out of you that way and because you're looking for something better and if you don't find it 20 years later and you're still doing the same thing then how genuine are you being? How genuine and angry are you? Like, like, I, if Tantrum and the Muse still wrote songs like lyrically like we were 20 years ago, 
I would expect all of you to be like, this guy's just singing this because he's expected to. You know yeah, I mean? at some point, though, yeah, I mean, and I get what you're saying, too, about the be, being genuine. For instance, do you think that do you think that the guys in corn are as mentally and unhealthy and frustrated as they used to be? Because if you look at interviews no. with those guys, they're all like they're all Beautiful like Christians. Yeah, like like yeah, they're all they're all cleaned up. They're off drugs. They're all you know. But they still and, go out and they still play. Uh, well, they, I mean, I wouldn't fault them for playing old songs because they know the fans like it. But but even when they write new albums, like what are, what's the lyrical content? I mean, I'm not saying they haven't. I mean, I'm not trying to pin just corn i'm just using an example of a band that's um their career a band like corn is so big and famous that they're like they have a career they have a brand there's an expectation right an expectation and i guess that's true with anybody but uh anybody that's been known from one thing and then 20 years later still exists i mean could you imagine if tantrum music existed for 20 years how in the world would would we have ever remained as tantrum news that everyone knows the only reason why it gets compared now it's because you only have that little time capsule of 20 years ago. Yeah. Know? I think it's a it's one of those weird t- and I think you answered my question actually uh really well, well there because <laughs> no you did. Uh I'm proud of you. No. <laughs> but we uh we Took uh, me an hour but I got you. Got hey, you. you're good. You're good. No, but it, you you sort of answered that question in the sense of like, you know, what, what is the point of a rebrand? What's the point of rebrand? You you're basically saying like if I if I was still making tantrum songs 20 years later, would they still be honest or would I have the expectation to continue making tantrum songs, right? Another way to put it would be to say that in some ways we are doing, there is no difference. Cause you can say if we're genuine and honest, which we always were, we were, maybe we weren't steered in the right way, but we were being trying desperately to be honest about it. At some point, the reputation preceded us and things may have been more like we're playing a, car, a part. I, I'll admit to that. But in the beginning, with the hardest to his firm, we genuinely were being honest. If we're being honest then, we're being honest now, Tantrum and the Muse would just look totally different because 20 years of life has been lived. In some ways, I can say we are making a Tantrum and the Muse album. It's just that we're making it 20 years removed from when we last made one. So the reason it's rebranded is more to the fact that um, Rick hates Tantrum and the Muse, um, does not like looking back on that era of his life and sees it as a sin in his life and his faith is removing him further and further from public eye in general i i'm having a hard time promoting what we're doing now because of this but rick is just very like he does not see tantrum muse as a positive in his life at all right now you break that exterior a little bit with him and you get into some of the talks and some of the good times some of the good mel- uh, musical moments He'll break out of that a little bit and kind of go, yeah, it was kind of a cool thing we did. But genuinely speaking, it's pulling teeth to get him to even acknowledge that band. That's a main reason why there's no new Tantrum News. We we have tried to reunite two or three times. We In 2009, we had a reunion show booked and Jim couldn't make it. We had to cancel. We have... Uh, uh, there's a there's a song on the new Unteachers album that was intended to be a Tantrum News album, or a song, rather, um, that, that I had started writing with Jim and then we bailed on it and then um but uh really liked it thought it was really awesome and it actually fits really well with what we're doing now so you know in so many weird ways it's still there but it can't be tantrum the muse because of the reputation that preceded it and because 
Rick would never, ever reunite with that band. I don't know if I could ever even pay him to do it. You know, if ever someone was willing to pay us, which would never happen, I could never get Rick on board. Tears from the Muse is dead because of Rick, not because of me and Jim. Jim and I would have done it long ago, but because to us, it's like, who cares? 20 years removed. This is us now. And this is the kind of music we've always tried to make. When I, when Rick and I approach this new on teacher stuff, all we're doing is making songs we want to hear. And that's all we've ever done. And it's tears from the Muse or it's on teachers because of the people making it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and honestly, no offense to Jim, but Tantrum the Muse in terms of the weird factor, the sort of like what people think about it in terms of the style of music, most of that comes from the fact that I am involved and Rick was involved. Um, Jim had nothing to do with the first album. And I, f I feel like most fans think of the first album when they think of our band. So um, Jim was more of like the, Jim made us a better band. And Jim was a metal guy. He still is. And that's what made that kind of more of a metal edge on that second album. Was Jim kind of came in and we just became like a really good band. But yeah, man, we're we're not Tantrum the Muse. We're a completely different band. We're also very much the same band. <laughs> it's very strange, depending on how you look at it. Well, it's interesting, too, what you were talking about earlier about... Um how sort of the album has you know that sort of side a side b sort of vibe on it where you've got almost a different a different band almost a different band so i think it's interesting how you'll start you start off with a human comedy and you've got a song like as bright as black uh which thematically you know sound it is more like tantrum it's 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 screamy it's louder you know and you keep, you know, you sort of keep that momentum going until, and then the second half of the record, it's almost like a journey where you start off. I mean, literally as bright as black. There's your, there's your nice positive outlook, you know, right there, of, of oh, okay, so, so things, things may not be going great, and you make your way through this sort of journey of an album, and you get all the way to the last song, so you're as bright as black at the beginning, and then you're, you know, at the very end, death has been swallowed. You know what I mean? Like just that, just reading the track titles. Yeah, you sort of get this uh, get this vibe of like we're we, we're not going to end up where we started. It's it's not going to be a reprise. It's not going to be a a. It's not going to be musically conceptual either. That you you know you go into so many different directions on this record, not as a slam, not as a bad thing. It's it's weird me telling you about your record, but like it is. Um, no, I'm, I'm I'm hearing you. But it, it is interesting. <clears throat> There's so much. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how deep you want to go, like on a personal level. But these songs are so filled with, like, like you have a song like "Cusp," which is very emotional. "Higher Horses" is actually. It, I don't know if I've told you this, but "Higher Horses" is my favorite song on the record. Um, and you've told me what it's about before, but I kind of want to. I kind of want to get into that because that song. I have an interesting relationship with that song because it reminds me of a lot of conversations I had, like with my dad and stuff. And I, I sort of always, I'm always actually thinking of my dad when I listen to it. And I know that you had written it about your dad. Yeah. Um, parts of it, my dad, parts of my mom and parts of my wife's parents. Yeah. Okay. We wrapped them all up in the one bundle with that one. <laughs> all right. So, so um, it's a big bundle. It's, it's 10 minutes long and it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's definitely one of my favorites as well. Um, and I think I might've liked the demo version better, but um, you have to send okay. that to me. The bass just doesn't 
The bass was supposed to lead it and pop. The melody was supposed to pop out and be really like what you follow, and it doesn't really do that. It's much more slow, and a lot of guitars sort of took over it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a really cool song. I think that um, it sounded really cool when we played it together, and we didn't capture that energy on the album. But um, what was the question exactly? You want to know? Just to sort of dig a little bit deeper into. Um... In, into the, in, yeah into that song like into the into the meaning like what sort of what was passing through your mind as you were writing it and you know what some of the inspiration was so higher horses is definitely about kind of reflecting on not wanting to um follow in in the footsteps of some of the mistakes you see and what's going on with your parents so it's definitely um now see this is a this is a tough one because i've lost my father uh not that long ago so since writing that song i've come to realize that a lot of the things that i criticized about my dad i now understand and kind of almost re repeated them and 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 yearn to ask him questions that i no longer can ask him so um something happened in the in the 40 year old bridge where now it's like okay i see now how a man breaks down i get it now but before that there was some criticism there but a lot of that criticism in that song was because there was genuine um uh, a, a, just a genuine disconnect of, of um, wanting to be um, wanting, to, wanting to make your parents proud but also dealing with the fact that um, you're, you're never going to get validation from them and also realizing that well to hell with that I don't need your validation was sort of the vibe of that and, and particularly my wife's parents took a major part in that. Um, they were just, they're just incredibly toxic people and they're incredibly um, abusive verbally and in every way. And my wife came from a terrible situation of abuse, uh, just, just, a, just had a terrible father, a terrible mother. And they deal with a lot of mental illness and it just, um, was an incredibly toxic situation. Our, like our children don't even know they exist. Um, they haven't come to that realization where they're saying like, mommy, where's your mommy? Like it just didn't, they never crossed that bridge yet. But right. that song is about just a extremely angry song about that. And, and also just, um, you know, I'm your child. I want you to see me growing up and be proud of what I'm doing, but also you know, you're, we're never going to get past this barrier of like, um, you'll never admit that some of the things you've done were toxic to me. And you're always going to say, oh, you know, you kids are always, um, you know, one day you'll figure it out. And one day, you know, you got that, that kind of like generic answer that just made things worse. And you're like, you know, they're never going to admit they made some mistakes. My parents were foster parents for 40 years. And I was in that system for 40 years. I, you know, they were fostering. So a lot of stuff happened that was really toxic because of that, you know, being, you know, six years old, seven, go all the way through to almost 40 
I mean, I'm 44 now. My parents only retired from that a couple of years ago. <laughs> so almost four. I just sure, yeah. quite literally say they started when I was four. So quite literally 40 years of fostering. I have seen and heard so much crazy stuff in my life. And um, it was really difficult to have people come in and out of my life, brothers, sisters, and you get really close to them and then they leave. And then um, you're kind of, it, it did a lot of damage to me mentally and emotionally. And it allowed me to be very disconnected and not be able to hear people well and not be able to connect with people normally. And, um, and I, I had brought that up to my parents years later saying like, you know, there was a lot of stuff that you didn't consider might affect your own children in that decision-making process. But right. they see it as, well, we provided for you. We, we've been, we did the best we could, which is the truth. So that song, I probably wouldn't have written it so much now because there's a part of me that does embrace some of the struggles they've gone through because I go through them now. But to try, I can never summarize this stuff quickly, but the You're okay. I, You're okay. Um, Higher Horses was was uh, uh, just about that disconnect with that generation and wanting wanting more love from them, but also knowing you're just, just always gonna be that divide. You know, toxic relationships and particularly, like I said, my wife's family. My I love my mother and I loved my father and we were close, even though we had these crazy problems. Um, but her side, they're not even in relationship with each other. It's just so, yeah, anyone with terrible, toxic parents or even just these these situations like mine can probably relate, I think, to that. But. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I wouldn't necessarily describe. I mean, there's a lot of crazy stuff that happened, obviously, with my growing up, and I think I think you know some of it uh, growing up in an extremely Pentecostal, almost almost cult like environment, you know, uh, early on. And it's funny. It, the reason I, I kind of brought this song up was because I still have, you know, I, I still have my parents, and we we definitely don't agree on a lot of things. But there is sort of that that feeling of and that that's what i related to was that sort of like longing for validation in the song because it is very like regardless of how you feel about it now it was very real then you know uh it was how you felt then and i remember like listening to that song and i've been a dad for eight years now and it's it's crazy that i also sort of craved that validation from my parents and they would never give it to me. And I think that they did give me validation in a way, but maybe in a way that I didn't recognize or they didn't know how to deal with it. And this is not like a, I'm here to whine about my parents, you know, sort of thing. Because like now as a parent, like you were saying, it's very, you start sort of understanding where they're coming from in that I didn't get that validation from them, but I also really haven't gotten it from anywhere else in the world. You know what I mean? It's almost like it's almost like that was kind of a, a way of verifying with me that like, hey, if you go into life expecting this, you're never you're never going to get it. You're always going to you're either going to act out ridiculously to get attention or you're going to sort of just always feel like nobody loves you or feel like nobody, nobody cares about you. And I, I sort of like um, it's almost the exact opposite of uh, of Dyer's Eve. You know, by Metallica, where where you know he, he's he's complaining about being coddled, 
his entire life and, and how his parents didn't like actually like prepare him for the real world. And even though I don't think that my parents like sat down and had like a meeting, you know, where they're like, okay, <laughs> we can't, we cannot have Dan growing up thinking he's going to get validation from other people. So we're going to intentionally act shitty towards him in order to get him to, to realize that. Uh, but it, yeah. when you're younger, you don't see it that way. You only, it's almost like you're only able to absorb what has happened to you or yeah. or criticize what has happened to you but you don't necessarily see the side of it of like because i i don't think i started viewing my parents as people until like maybe maybe like maybe 10 years ago you yeah. know and realizing realizing how i feel as a parent like i'll, I'll sit there and slave over a, a hot meal because i cook a majority of the meals for my family and um, I'll, I'll slave over a hot meal and I'll spend all this time like mixing flavors and, and like, I'm really excited about it. I'm really proud. I'm like trying to get validation, I guess, for my kids. Right. Uh, you know, look at, look at this, look at this, <laughs> look at this baller meal I yeah. made tonight for us to eat. And it's healthy, you know, and it's all this stuff or whatever. And they're just like, yeah. can we just like, can we just get happy meals from McDonald's? I'm like, so you don't want this from, you don't want this thing that I spent hours making. But then like, yeah. I would, I would catch myself like getting, getting <laughs> mad getting mad and like and like almost yelling about it you know and just being pissed off but like not realizing that like they don't understand why i'm pissed off they don't they don't really get like what i you know see see you're 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 at the age now and and with kids especially you're you're on that other side where you can now see both you're the father and the son yes and that's that's the thing that i struggle so badly with now it's going to be greatly dealt with with this next record i, I swear to god it's like a midlife crisis album because <laughs> yeah. it's dealing awesome. with this whole, it's dealing with all of this stuff parenthood uh fatherhood and and losing the father and like like realizing why your parents become how they become i mean the whole idea of a man getting up in the morning and trying to do the right thing and just being beaten down by so many challenges and then what does that leave what kind of pile of meat is left at the end of that and then that person's supposed to pour 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 into all their children and family and wife and have a great marriage have a great be a great father pour 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 out of something that's just not even filled up anymore you're not it's not even there and and you know with losing my dad you're just i'm just like man i'm i'm like in i'm in this weird spot now where like i'm both the father and the son i want to know like dad did you did you struggle with these thoughts or these issues or these temptations or whatever. And weirdly, those things never occurred. I never occurred to ask him till he's dead. And so honestly, before he died, I could have told you that higher horses is the hardest song for me to talk about. Not because hard, like emotionally, like it upsets me hard as in like, it's hard to, to articulate that song because I wrote it in a time where I was still dealing with the need for that validation. Um, but now I'm at a point where I saw I can see some of why uh, they the knee jerk reaction, some of the stuff that I that made me so angry and bitter. Like you were just saying, you were cooking this dinner, you slaved over it. Well, you didn't even talk about the fact that you just put in like a what eight nine hour work day. Oh yeah, you came home. You came home and you still made the, the dinner, and your kids just don't fully realize how much you've given up to be that person. And so I respect that side a lot more now than when I wrote the song. But even then, if you had asked me back in 2014 or even 20, 
six, seven, 2006 or seven, whenever I wrote it, what was I writing about? It's a hard song to write about because I love my parents. Right, right. But, but it, it's just one of those things. You you have to come to the realization that you're you're um, you've got a lot of stuff you got to deal with and carry on and now drag this toxic shit into your into your life and into how you parent and you you know it's the whole sins of the fathers thing i'm never gonna do this i'm never gonna do what my dad did or i'm not gonna do what my mother did never gonna speak to my kids the way my parents spoke to me but then we get so tired and burned out (laughs) through our own life stuff and the things that are just so incredibly difficult right now and what comes out Maybe it's maybe you're conscious of uh, the mistakes you're not going to make, but you're going to make some other ones. You make and all new kids, ones, yeah. You make all new ones. Your kids are going to grow up and they're going to write a song like this. <laughs> I deal with that now. Like I remember, like my kids. Th- first of all, my kids think that anything related to my computer is a podcast. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, and I remember trying to. I remember trying to explain because like there there's times yeah. where I'm like reading bedtime books and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I, we're going to have to do one less book tonight because Daddy has an interview at eight you know, or, or a podcast at eight or something like that. And it's, I'm still struggling with that because, you know, eventually the the only thing that they're interpreting is like, okay, so dad's not going to read us another book because he's going to go talk to people on his computer. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, when I say it like that, it's like, oh my God, like, what kind of a dad are you? Like, what, why would you, you know, yeah, I'm not beating the kids and I'm not verbally abusing them, but like, they're going to remember that. Like, so did he value that stuff more than he valued the time with us? And obviously I'll deny it. Imagine how I'm going to feel when I'm like 60 years old and I'm like, and my kids come in and they're like, Hey, you know, I know you like, you know, Hopefully they're like, yeah, I know how you like went on to make millions of dollars podcasting, but, (laughs) um, you know, how am I going to react whenever they're like, we really wish that you would have not done that and you would have spent more time with us and you would have done this or that or this or that or just that. I want to say I'll sit down and cry with them and hug them and tell them how sorry I am and yada, 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 but I'll probably be 60 years old and I'll be a human husk by that point because of how much (laughs) I had, well, because of how much I had to give. Yeah. You know, yeah, like I complain dude. to my wife about this all the time, like a little baby. I'm like, I'm like, I have to spend most of my time doing things I don't want to do. Listen, man, two things I'll say. One, because you got to understand what I've been through in the last couple of years has been so insane and so destroying of my mind, body, soul. Um, that I can speak with positivity on your podcasting hours by saying, that again, um, and this is good advice that was given to me. I and I and I already said it once tonight, I'll say it again. But, like, you know, if your cup is empty, what are you pouring into other people's cups? I, I've been told this about my own life, and I've always said that that's the crazy thing because I keep pouring out stuff when there's nothing there. So, you yeah. explain that to me because yeah. that's that's that is the that is essentially what it's like to be in our stage right now. In this particular economy, where things are everything is expensive, and all we do is work, 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 work. Well, if you don't put something back into that cup, and for you it's podcasting, for me it's making an album with on teachers, for someone else it's going to be painting a, a portrait, whatever, collecting stamps, whatever, Be, whatever, whatever is created for them. Yeah. yeah, whatever. Well, and, and whatever's you're you're a creative person. I'm a creative person. You got to be creative, and you have to make time to be healthy. And so that's the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is 
make sure you spend time with your kids. Make sure that it's, you know, the balance is there. Obviously, oh, yeah. if you're only doing, you're endlessly doing podcasting, then maybe they do have a reason to feel that way about you. But Well, no, and that's, that's provide, obviously the reason for this. Yeah. Exactly. If you provide and you make the healthy dinners after your long shift and you play with them and you take them and, and you know, ultimately if you provide for them and if you lead them and you take them into a, a place of truth and you keep the shirts on them, and, and yeah, just make the time for them. You got to balance it out. You can't continue to be, and I'm not lecturing you. I'm lecturing everybody who's listening, men out there who are broken. If you find yourself endlessly owned by everybody and you never have a life of your own in any capacity, you're doomed. You're, you're already, already to, you're already dead. Yeah, yeah. And you're certainly, if you haven't already, you're certainly going to, start creating um problems in your mind problems in your in your life you're going to want to have you're going to desperately want those alone times and then those alone times things can be bad because you can stop serving your family and you can start creating problems in your life that wouldn't wouldn't be there if you just balanced things out you know yeah. the, those the, you, when it becomes a thing where like for you it's a healthy thing you come down here and you do a thing a show but some guys, some guys, that escape isn't healthy. Some sometimes that escape is really bad stuff, like pornography, or um, having affairs with their wives, or um, drugs. You know, whatever. Like the stuff that destroys people, physically destroys people. And you know, men need to fill their cup, but they need to fill it up with something healthy. And yeah, and I have unfortunately. Because of grief and uh, medications that were terrible for me, SSRIs, terrible, um, and also struggling with aging, struggling with, with um, where I was at in my life at a particular time when all of it had hit me at the same time, like a, a perfect storm of chaos. Um, I had I quite literally what people call a midlife crisis. I, 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 uh, I didn't go out and buy a Corvette don't have the money if I, yeah, how would I, yeah, I wouldn't have afforded if I had it. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't go off and have an affair or anything like that, but I definitely started making some life choices that were very damaging and greatly uh, affected my family life and almost destroyed me and almost quite literally killed me because a lot of it was suicidal. Yeah. Um, thoughts that were literally never there for many years, all of a sudden are in my mind. This is almost as if someone came behind me and whispered into my ear and, um, it was a terrible, terrible place, and um, oh, also you can't ever talk about it with anybody because it's like you're the only one with these problems. You can't ever talk to anybody else. Men right. don't like talking about it. They like going to that place, the place of solitude, <laughs> the fortress of solitude, where they can be by themselves and have their their time of peace. And unfortunately, if you don't if you don't um, fill your cup up with positive stuff, you're gonna fill it up with shit and that's yeah just reality and that is what higher horses is about <laughs> hey no it's this is good hey if you know what if i have to if i have to just have you on and we'll just do well if i have to have you on and we have to do an hour on each song we will yeah uh, i don't know to be honest no, that's the, that song is loaded that song is loaded and there's not a lot it's no easy way around it um it's definitely the most complicated of all the songs on the album the rest of those songs on the album are very simple to discuss that one you picked you picked a real doozy to start out this album conversation. I'll tell you. Did I not? Did I not tell you that I'm all about ripping off scabs? You know, uh, that is, 
But I mean that that song was. But there's a reason that song was significant. This was really kind of one of those weird moments where you and I, you and I have been talking for years. I, and I wish that I, I wish that I lived closer so we could just do this over coffee and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, just sort of like sort cool. sort of yeah. have that older dad bro time. You know that you know that's part of well. I think that, your cup. I think that would be really good too. Is just having other guys and doing healthy stuff together is totally. Oh like, yeah, yeah. Uh, the problem is though is like I'm so weird. And you're so weird and weird. Yeah. Ge- ge- geographically, it's one of those like we'd love to bring that weirdness into like it's our own weirdness club, but it's, you know, I- I've driven to Pennsylvania before and I will never do it again. I'll, I'll mean, I'll, I'll, f- I'll fly to Pennsylvania, but I'll never drive there again. Uh, I've got a farmhouse with guest rooms. So, hey, at least when you get here, free room and board. Fair I'll enough. Cook. I told you well, something healthy. I told my wife that actually because she has she has a lot of family uh, in New York, so it's like if we ever decided oh, wow. to go to New York, we could we could definitely make a stop. You know what I mean? Two, yeah, at least for on the part, yeah, depending on what part of New York. I mean, you can get to the city in three, two and a half, three hours from here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's cool. That's yeah. something that you know uh, everybody knows about man. us now. Oh, for sure. I'll yeah. have to, uh, yeah, we'll have to do, we'll have to plan something out, but like, cause hell, if, if you're going to, if, if us hanging out in person is going to be on an unteacher's tour, we're going to both be dead before that happens. Oh, a hundred percent. Unless I'm the tour manager. Yeah. I'll just fly. Yeah. I'll just fly out and be your tour manager. I'll be all like, uh, yeah, these guys, uh, this is, this is the drink list. This is, the- I'm just saying, man, <laughs> like, I'm just saying like, what other reason would there be? You, I would think like the easy thing would be like, Oh, when I get to your state to play a show, well, that seems to be it next to impossible so it would have to be a, a, a gathering scheduled thing where you have to make it happen or it just would never happen well i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna grab one more song off of this record sure which is make, swim with make the, it good make it good swim with the oh, night geez, swim with the north oh, brother what well it's just there's just nothing really to tell you about it other than you just shit that one out huh all right i'll, I'll give that to you okay all right so Go ahead. Ask me. What do you What do you want to know about that? Uh, I'm not going to get super super deep. Actually, I'm interested in the inspiration of the actual title of the song because it's one of my, I for whatever reason when I think of Swim with the Knife, I, I used to watch this show on Cartoon Network called Venture Brothers, uh, and they had a character that was voiced by Patrick Warburton called uh, Brock Sampson, and he was like, he was like obviously like a parody of like action heroes, you know, like a, like a real Duke Nukem type of of, of like yeah. huge roided out guy. It's a super deep voice or whatever, and he like. There's so many scenes of him just like being basically naked, holding a knife in his teeth, uh, and for whatever reason, every time I see the title "Swim with the Knife," I like the song too. But uh, <laughs> every time I every time I see that, I'm always like, he didn't write this about Brock Sampson. I know that. Um, yes, but I always did, kind of was kind of interesting. Yeah, you're like, dude, you nailed this one right you on got the it. head. That yeah. was easy. Yeah, no, <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> But no, I like that song because there's a lot of like, really, um, I like it because it actually reminds me. There's certain songs that I listen to on this record that I like. These are like, these are more like tantrum style songs. And um, as far as I can tell, this is like kind of the last one on there. Like it's almost end of side. It might actually be end of side A. Now that I think about it. Well, end of side A is cusp. Um, Oh, you're and, right. Because higher horses it, is ten minutes. I you know, listen to everything digitally now. Like, well, it's it is weird because mo- it's like if you were to look at it by track listing, it's like almost the entire album's on one side, and then right. you got two two longer songs on the other. Yeah, so re- real easy to talk about this one. 
So, um, I have a love-hate relationship with the ocean, and um, yes. One night back in the day when we were before the album was being written, um, I went night swimming in the ocean with um, some Why? friends. Exactly. <laughs> That's Why? exactly what I was asking myself. Have, have you? Was, have you? Did you watch Jaws? So, so many times, and I, <laughs> okay. I and and I, uh, when I was a kid, I used to be able to swim way out there, and uh, I would never think once about the fear of actually being eaten by sharks. Even though I watched Jaws as a kid and understood all that, I, I didn't have the reaction of like could never go back in the water. I was the opposite. But, and it all goes back to the album's themes, and that's fears, anxieties, um, doubts, and all that stuff. As you get older, as you experience life, you start to realize what's actually around you, what's ready to devour you, and you can use that as a literal metaphor, or, or you could think about it in terms of just life in general. When I swam out in that ocean at 1 o'clock in the morning, whatever time it was, very dark, the only light that was anywhere near us was the moonlight i don't know if you ever sat on the beach at night and stared at the sea with the movement while the moon is shining down on the ocean but what ends up happening is especially when you start to let your mind wander and start to fear things which is what happens when you're in the water in the dark when the moon shines on the light it looks like eyes that are just opening and looking at you everywhere and so when i sing the line about um uh, I can't remember the lyrics now. Uh, whatever the hundred eyes staring back at me, thousand eyes staring yeah, back at me, yeah, wherever yeah. the line is, a thousand that's eyes, being so, yeah. that's being quite literal. That it's so the the songs. If you were just to read it verbatim, is about that night me swimming in the ocean, and I remember thinking to myself, if I had a knife, anything that could attack me, I would just stab it in the face. And I remember just being like, I would feel safer because I would at least have something to stick it into this thing that's attacking me or whatever. That was the that was. <laughs> That was the um, the the um, the picture, but the song's meaning is is the the literal of just the experience of being in the ocean at night and the fears of this like what is around me right now what's going to kill me what's devouring me, um, and so like when some of the lines you read it you're like that's quite literally what he was saying like he's literally saying I want to swim with a knife there's no there's nothing behind that meaning it's like literally just like swim of the knife is about me being ready in the water with weapon but there's also a spiritual metaphor going on and that's that just the idea of the jonah thing you know repentance the ocean is is literally a mystery but it's also a good metaphor for the idea of of sin and hell and and just sort of you know uh the the sheol being being hell it's it's like you know it's just a song about real, just uh, the way to sin and the and the 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 darkness surrounding me and 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 it in and, and a sin metaphor. And so, like, okay. yeah, like the Jonah the Jonah thing. It, it's not about Jonah and the whale, but it Jonah. The interesting thing about the Bible was that you know God used the whale to to change Jonah's heart. You know, and so he's swallowed up by this beast. You know. And I'm scared, being scared of the ocean, being scared of the actual beasts in the ocean. I use that metaphor of like, you know, it's fear. It's a fear of like the ocean, but also like how God used it to change a man's heart. And like me saying that, like, you know, 
the line of sleep in the light is a Keith Green quote from his song. I think it's called Sleep in the Light. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the song. But it's just that idea of like, yeah, just, just needing to repent and needing to um, uh, just change your ways and and not being swallowed up by the beast, you know. So, you know, it's it's a kind of a, it's a song that could, could be very like visual, I guess. But uh, there is a there is a spiritual line going along with it too. But That's sorry so to disappoint you. I mean, no, I'm I not say dis- swim, What does swim with a knife mean? Does it mean it's? I was swimming, and I was scared, and it was dark. <laughs> And you didn't have a knife. That's the that's and the that's the plot knife. twist. I think that it's interesting how you can sort of a theme that I've been hitting up on this podcast because I think we're about like eight episodes in now. <laughs> has been um, I was talking about all the way back in in episode two. I was talking about like at the driving lyrics and how like they're really hard for me to interpret. And I like interpreting lyrics and I like digging into lyrics and figuring out what the songs are about. Uh, but at the same time, it's only to confirm if it's about what I thought it was about originally, right? And so sometimes when I can't find an interpretation, I just sort of stick with my own. And I always thought that song was about not being able to relax because that's something that I struggle with. Is Well, you is try relaxing in the ocean in the dark at night, well, that, so maybe that's, you're right. <laughs> that's how the, well, that's how the visual, that's how the visual of, yeah. the, of the lyrics sort of hit me was that like, I'm so afraid of being attacked by literally anything that I can't relax and that I I even swim with a knife. You know, was kind of the kind of what I what I got out of that. Well, uh, like the guy that sleeps with a with a 9 mil under his pillow, right? Like, you know, always <laughs> always ready for a fight even when he's supposed to be resting, right? Yeah. You know. Well, I mean, the fear thing is definitely front and center. I mean, in the literal and spiritual sense, just uh, the lyrical journey of a human comedy is that I'm starting out in a dark spot. I'm in a search for something that's meaningful. And the lyrics from beginning to end, if you're if you're just letting it wash over you and even musically, I feel like everything about it, just tone just changes. And and uh, dark, it gets it, I think it gets a little more lighter not lighter like musically just lighter in the in like a tone of like does this make me feel depressed or does this make me feel whatever i think it's a perspective switch yeah Yeah. it certainly starts out that way dark and angry and also asking questions and sort of around uh so that's the fourth song on the album so by that point of the album you're getting closer to moving from you're starting to realize that's the issues in your life you're starting to realize the things that need to change for me, anxiety and fear were like front and center through the whole thing. That's something I struggle with greatly in my life. Obviously, probably one of the moments that flared me up the most was was that experience swimming in the dark and just being like, "What the hell am I doing? I'm getting out of this water." What, what was I thinking? Like, and yeah. just but but I just I, I do just remember the poetry of the visual of that and just sort of like when I was writing the song for the spiritual metaphor, I was like, you know, like what a great comparison, like how. Like, you know, I'm afraid of the ocean and it's like a scary thing. And just, um, could you just imagine being swallowed by some beast and then surviving and realizing what God was trying to, <laughs> trying to teach you through this crazy experience. And I just thought it was a really cool way of reflecting on the literal that I was dealing with that day. That's but, awesome. 
No, I th- I, yeah. lo- I I love I love that stuff. I love getting sort of the the word from the horse's mouth, so to speak, too on, on some of this stuff. Mouth. Yeah, the higher horse's mouth. Yeah, I <clears throat> dad, but it's... so your opinion sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's important though to note though in terms of the album concept that cusp is the breaking point, which is the reason for the title. But that song, like I've said to you that some of the songs lyrically were written in a completely different mindset than the, than the later, that song is both. That song is quite literally the centerpiece because the first couple verses were written during the tantrum rating process. The second half was written later and I, put them together and I was like this is the cusp this is the this is the flip you're on the cusp of the change you're on the you know you're it's about to literally flip and so um it doesn't flip in a generic sense where you're going side a has all these angry songs side b is the songs where he's talking about um the joy he's experienced with being finding right. his finding of the faith that's real in his life no quite right. literally like in in the last part of side a it's it's finally going I've I, I'm, I've had it. I'm at this point, and now I'm starting to see this. There's a, it's a it's a three part song, so you know you have your your first part with all the lyrics, the verses, and then you have that midsection that's um goes into sort of like that Tom Waitsy, um, uh, Danny Elfman, whatever sort of thing. Yeah, like that, that lighter sort of you know more yeah. crazy. Yeah, it almost sounds like theatrical. Um, that is a second section of lyrics. And then when it goes back into the balls to the walls, heavy math, Rocky crap at the end, that's a whole other set of lyrics. And if you follow those lyrics, um, I didn't mean to throw this song into your, uh, into your, your list tonight, but I wanted to point we're out. We're here to talk about the album. Let's we're no, doing I, it. But I thought if there was one song I would, I would want people to, to know about on the whole album, that one, because, um, there are three sections of lyrics that are um, slowly going in a different, you know, in, it's that change is broken down into those three sections of lyrics. If you were to take those lyrics and listen to them, that's pretty much when uh, the character breaks to the other side is there on, that, is on that song. And then <laughs> you're hit with the lyrics of that, of the end of cusp. And you're like, okay, this is not the beginning of cusp. Right. Then when you flip this, the album over, it's like, well now what? And then you get different, a different thing. But yeah, yeah I, what I what I lo- liked about how we handled that transition was that we didn't transition it like side A, side B. We transitioned it like with right in the middle, like with a song. So that's awesome. But, yeah. I, I think that like this album is, and I'm, you're not going to catch me saying this very much on this podcast, but this is an album that has brought a, sort of a lot of perspective for me. You know, <laughs> since I heard it because. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, Steve. When we first started talking way back in, I think I think probably 2017, I want to say sometime around there, 2017 or 2018. I remember like when we first. I didn't even know that you were the guy from Tantrum at first. Uh, <laughs> I figured it out though, and then I, I played it off as if I always knew. I wasn't wearing like, my members only jacket at the time. Right. So at the time, I was just very like, okay. And I remember you sending me this record. And as a guy who, for five or six years, people continuously sent me records, uh, which is awesome, you know. Um, so you know, I, you know, I'll get my mailing address later if anybody wants to send me some records. But uh, it's, <laughs> I remember, I remember getting it, and 
for some reason I like actually listen to it because a lot of the times what would happen is I'd, I'd get records and demos and people send a lot of stuff like di digitally and stuff and it just you know I sort of complained about that on my first episode about how like there was just so much that I needed to do every week right yeah, like, so, yeah. Uh, but I remember putting this one on and was so I was shocked at how good it was to this sort of just like whoa okay wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute you know um, I, I loved it so much that I was like actually stoked that you signed it. Then I remember driving three hours to Indy to a Zayo show to have Travis sign it. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, because, he was traveling with them then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, I was like, well, I may not ever have the opportunity to do this. So he's he at least has met me halfway on this, and then I sprung it on him without even warning him first that I was going to do that. Yeah, uh, I probably should have had Josh sign him too. Like, uh, yeah, no, it's all good. It, it's one of those like uh, it'll happen. You know, the world's not over yet. He's so. Still alive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're good. Uh, we still there's always a chance. I think that what I what I drew from this is that this was sort of I was really really into like brutal metal at the time. You know, I still like that music, but I, I was so into brutal metal it was all I was listening to. You know, because you got to think I, I listened to this record and then I listened to the eight Napalm Death records that I'm supposed to listen to this week, right, or whatever. And um, great great band, not not all at once though. You know. It's a, lot uh, of, it's a lot of it's a lot of blast album, beats a lot of yeah. grindcore yeah, yeah it's a lot of blast beats you know <laughs> uh yeah and but then i'm listening to this and it's like it's sort of touching me on a level that isn't the norm because there's no there's no fronting on this record there's there's none of that like sort of posturing that you get with bands that are trying to be heavy like i hear yeah. I, I you know it, I, I always like it when all the posturing happens with the guitar. Like how how sludgy of a tone can I get? How you know how how crazy? Get? Like I'm I'm into yeah. all of that stuff. But like this wasn't a like okay a dude comes in there he's gonna scream about how he feels about you know whatever like whatever he's pissed off about and like there is like a little bit of that at the start, you know. But a, as we a, as we went on, I was really sort of enraptured by this journey and I didn't realize it until a couple of years later that I was sort of living out a lot of that journey like in my own way over you know there's a uh, there, there's a plea for purging song the face down records band if you're not there they have a song called hell at our backs and there's a like a, a hook in that song where he's like he's like we all have hell at our backs we fight the same fights in different places with different faces you know mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. that's how I felt about this record, you know, was kind of like a, here's mm. a, like, and I think that that's why I sort of ripped the scab off on higher horses or whatever, because I was like, I get such a similar vibe of what I'm feeling when I'm listening to that song. And then in sort of talking to you, because I've sort of prodded you over time about that song and like, like, what is it, you know, uh, yeah. you know, all, all leading up to me, just putting you on the spot immediately, you know, no, no, uh, I was happy to talk people. about it. Um, it was interesting to talk about it because I hadn't thought about it in a long time, and having to think about it now with everything I've just been through, it's, it was like, huh, wow. Yeah, and I'm actually like, like I said, the father and the son on that one, so that's it's interesting. Yeah, but you know, you could say, you could say the concept out loud about this album. It may, it probably doesn't sound very interesting when you think about. I mean, most people are like, well, who is Steven Sarah? Who gives a shit who he is? I don't care about this guy's journey from being um i think if i had flipped it around and i said well i started out a christian and by the end of the album i'm just sick of everything and hate everything and i have nothing but criticisms about the church and the body of christ i think it probably would have sold a lot more yeah you would have had sold that, more records for sure i think the tantrum of the muse fans would have eaten it up because it's just that's what we were but 
what I think makes the album worth someone's listening time, aside from the fact that I would hope that they'd listen to the lyrics and they'd get something out of it, is musically it's freaking all over the place. It's it's uh it's got a, a lot of the tantrum of the muse influences still in there, but but it certainly um fully realized some things we never got to do with tantrum. Tantrum the muse never got to play with the reverb pedal. We never got to play with <laughs> with anything else other than hit the distortion and 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 again you got your clean channel you got your heavy channel. We never broke out of that punk rock aesthetic. With this album, it's like you know there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's stuff that was really influenced by like you know Rush and prog rock. I got it. You know it's funny. I I was never a fan of Rush until I had been told for the hundredth time that I sounded like Geddy Lee and that the band, the Tantrum Muse referring to this, to that, with that band reminded people of Rush. And I said, Rush, you talking about the, the old band from like back in the seventies. <laughs> I was like, what, how in the world does Tantrum Muse sound like Rush? I didn't understand what they were referring to. Um, I had known Tom Sawyer and a few things, I, um, subdivisions, but I really didn't, I wouldn't even have known it was them. Um, and I went and I bought moving pictures which, by the way, was the perfect album to, to buy from Rush if you were going to start with one, because that was yeah, such no a doubt. great, such a great album. But I am what immediately it made, made me realize was like, okay, they're they're talking about the higher range vocal, and they're talking about the fact that it's a power trio that's doing a lot of weird stuff that's not like flowing like typical song structures like bassist is doing something real wacky over here the guitar is doing something real nuts over here drummers going all batshit crazy that was definitely tantrum of the muse to compare us to rush is an absolute joke but to say conceptually a power trio that was progressive is what people were picking up and but i never really was a prog rock guy until after all that and so i started really getting into king crimson and stuff like that and i got into a lot of the avant-garde stuff and then comes along with human comedy. I'm putting a lot of that in there, pushing weird time signatures, and definitely explored the the vocals. Um, I'm not a big scream guy anymore. I don't enjoy it at all. It doesn't feel good, and it doesn't feel like I feel like I, I've 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 developed a way to to get that intensity and heaviness across with melody, and just by doing it with the music and and also the lyrics. And bands like Swans are a perfect band to. to point to that now they did scream a lot earlier on but but they can write us an epic jam of a song and you walk away feeling like holy shit that was intense and the guy didn't scream at all and i i kind of like doing that and not not um you know screamy and so i was really pushing melodies pushing a lot of stuff a lot of there's a whole bunch of detuned guitar wackiness and there's some more gothy elements and some dead can dance in there the cure and all that kind of stuff Stuff we never really got to fully explore with Tantrum the Muse. And sure. if we had stuck together, would have. That third Tantrum the Muse album is probably a godsend. It never happened. At the time, we were actually tr trying to make a t third Tantrum. I mean, you saw my solo album at the time, right? You heard that, right? The, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sympathy for the Living. I was pushing a lot of that stuff. And, um, you know, we, were, we had the keyboardist by that point. We were definitely going in a, a more, like, electronic and... Um, sonically weird direction. It wouldn't have been like the dry signal sound of those first two albums. And I think people would have hated us back then. So, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, yeah. 
There it is. Um, yeah. And and t- I, I would feel it would feel disingenuous, you know, to say, oh yeah, we only came on to talk about about this record. I think the exciting thing, the the ray of the ray of sunshine, in in all of this is that number one, I want everybody that listens to this podcast to go listen to a human comedy at least once. You know, just listen to it through. If it connects with you, it connects with you. Although. I will honestly tell you that there's a lot of records that I love now that maybe I didn't like the first time I listened to them. Um, I don't think that's the case with this one. This was an instant like for me. And I also, like, you can stream this record anywhere. Everywhere. You, know? you can stream it everywhere. You can stream it on all the major platforms. But you you had reached out to me. Uh, it was either earlier this year or it was late last year talking about how you, were, you had new songs and you're going to release a split, you know, and I, I was remember being really excited because I wasn't sure, to be honest, I wasn't sure if there was ever going to be anything new, you know? And I think you were worried about that too, you know, because you're like, I have all these songs that like, <laughs> yeah. that exist, that <clears throat> exist as riff ideas, you know, like stuff on tape. And, you know, you had all these, all these sort of like, I have a record in me. I just need the means to get it out, you know? And, um, you put out that you put out the split et ep with uh another band's name that i can't pronounce that i'm not going to try to pronounce um but that was sort of like a okay we're going to sort of get our name out there but then now you've sort of got this thing going with rottweiler and a new album is coming there's a reason you've got all that all that recording shit behind you you know like you, you're this is something that is actually happening so what is what is something that we can sort of expect coming out of a new record? Well, now this is um, this is what I'm excited about right here. This question okay. right here, because I'm deep in the thought process of the second album. I'm deep in the um, recording stages of this album, and you know, I don't. I'm not a very prolific person. I don't write albums every year, every six months. I'm not Ryan Adams. I don't drop like five albums in one year. I will say that I'm very much in tune with if um, something feels like it's good or not. And, and, you know, Human Comedy, when it came out, the one thing I will say is if you stumbled upon it, if you tripped on something, fell, and it was in front of you, that's the only way you would have heard it, everyone loved it when they heard it. I've never heard anyone criticize it and say it was terrible. Even the ones that wanted Tantrum said, this is a really, really good album. I hear people all the time say, I would love it, like when I – did the prank about the new tantrum album yeah people said i would love a new tantrum record i said well listen to a human comedy because that was the thing we did right after and they're like no i already have it and it rips i love it i just think it would be great to see it people loved a human comedy yeah um rottweiler records um gyrus didn't know me from adam um sean who owned rottweiler previously the one who pretty much established it from what most people know it as yeah sean browning um he he had we had been talking off and on about doing it and we actually signed a contract to do reissues for the tantrum stuff but then he he sold the label to gyrus and right in the middle of it i said well hey how are you gonna are we gonna honor that contract or is that is that dead now like what's gonna happen he goes he's like i'll tell gyrus about you and what we what we've discussed and then he sent me a message on Facebook with Jairus attached to it. He said, hey, it's Steven, meet Jairus and all that stuff. And then um, Jairus, is, you could you could just tell Jairus was like, oh, oh, cool, man. Yeah, whatever. Send me send me some stuff. What, you know, he wasn't yeah. like looking for anything. And I sent him 
a human comedy. I sent him a Spectre and a Noose. I sent him the If You Think cover. These are the two songs from the new EP. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll check it out. And I was like, okay. And I thought, whatever. He, a couple days go by, week goes by or something. I'm thinking he's not, he, whatever. And then um, he probably has a stack of records. You yeah, know what exactly, I mean? To, yeah. to get through. Yeah. I didn't think much of it, but I also wasn't too, I wasn't sitting there biting my nails going like, oh, I hope he signs me. I just, because I didn't know much about what he was even going to do. I just was like passing the torch, you know? And um, he, he writes, he gets a hold of me and he, he's like immediately on board. And I started talking him out of it. I started saying, well, I got to warn you. I said, everything I touch turns to shit. So just FYI. Everything, whether I'm in a podcast, whether I do an album, it, I'm stuck. 20 years ago, that was the only opportunity that I've ever been given. And the only time I've been put in studios and paid to record albums. All of the great opportunities of life were thrown at me when I was 20 years old and knew nothing. And here I am now, in my 40s, writing better songs and all that. But people are stuck at in the tantrum days and there have never given despite I mean, you know fair to be fair we, we know we don't play and tour so I, I get that that's part of the big part of the problem but i said to gyrus we are not a touring band we don't play out because uh we have never been able to find members to pull this shit off with us we we are very musically weird hard to describe and i don't know how you can market this and the people who would like our band are probably not really christian kids like we don't our genre like the bands we would open with are very like probably very leftist type bands and we just like we're a weird band like we're we're, we're can't we're, can't fit in anywhere yeah we're a very a lot like like you know a lot of the like like Rick's very very much into orthodox theology I'm uh, a press reformed presbyterian and our lyrics reflect a lot of like theological deep stuff certainly isn't like cut you know cookie cutter christian stuff Politically speaking, we probably don't fit in with these people. I don't know why you'd want to deal with that. And and Jaira said, when I hear you talk like that, you're just like, it's just like a challenge. And I just want to make that challenge happen. I want to like defeat that challenge. I was like, cool, man. Like, like whatever. But the thing he said to me was what, what got them on board was um, him and his buddy, who he, his partner, were sitting in the studio and they listened to a human comedy. And they both said, or his, he said his, his partner looked up and said, where the hell did this band come from? Yeah. How, how have I not heard this? Yeah. And that was, and I thought that was interesting because that just seems to be the reaction. It's like, wait, I felt this that thing's way been too. out for five, six years, however long. Yeah. So by the strength of a human comedy and the new songs, he likes the new songs. That's how that happened. But I will say the new album is not a human comedy. It's, it's on another level. I, I'm just going to say it. I don't care if I sound cocky. I don't care, whatever. I am so excited about this new album. It blows away a human comedy. It's it's not even a question. There's so much going on musically. It's the heaviest thing we've ever done. It's the darkest thing we've ever done. It's extremely angry. It's extremely emotionally upsetting. I'm dealing with my father's death. I'm dealing with fatherhood and the pressure. All the stuff we talked about. It's all, it's so heavy. I got Rick's lyrical input on a lot of songs too. And he's incredibly good with words. The songs are, are just big beasts of 
of musical material and we both just can't even believe it's us like when we listen to it we're just like i can't believe we're making a record this good i who knows you know i i turn everything into shit so maybe the album will be great i'll put it out and it'll be on in my closet i don't know i'm hoping gyrus can can make it happen but this album to be honest i don't think that's gonna be the case this time i don't think so either i think it's time i hope we can be heard and I think this album is is going to really surprise people. But I will warn you, there there are longer songs, and there are songs that take a little while to get to where they're going. It's not like immediate, like bam, bam, bam. A couple of them are, a um, couple of them are right in line with the spirit of the Tantrum Days musically. But there's also, and you got Rick on the drums this time. So I mean, it quite literally is the hardest of two at sperm, the two guys, and uh, you know, and he's like, Rick's playing some crazy stuff. I've really challenged him and he's, he comes in and we, we just, he just plays, plays, plays stuff just comes out of him, real, real off the wall stuff. And uh, yeah, man, like we're, we're, we're digging deeper into musical tone. It's a lot heavier than tone. It's also just heavier lyrically. It's just like, uh, I don't know, man, I'm excited about it. It's, we got so much material. We're throwing stuff out now. Like we, you know, Spectre in the News was supposed to be on the album, but it was a longer song. And it was also, honestly, we felt like it didn't stand up to the new album. So we just thought, well, we'll do it as a split. People are like loving that song, telling me a couple of people that have heard it. They're saying to me, man, this song's on another level. And I'm like, they're like saying, I'm, I'm really surprised at how not heavy it is. But, it, <laughs> but, but I'm really surprised at how epic it is and how big it sounds. And I said, that's why it's not on the new album. The new album is way heavier than a specter in the noose and that's why we didn't put it on the album if you're worried about this the new record not being heavy there's more side a on of uh, human comedy on this next one but you gotta let it wash over you because it doesn't it's not side a side b like that one it's it's all mixed mashed in together we got all kinds of crazy stuff going on man it's it's uh and by the time this album ends it's gonna feel like a it's gonna feel like a whiplash when you're done when it stops you're just going to kind of sit there and you're going to have to inhale again. Because I'll tell you what, the last 20 minutes of this record, if you've ever loved someone and had them die in such a horrible way as my father died, and just the, deal, the stuff you deal with, I mean, you're, you're a dad, get a bunch of kids, and all the stuff that's on your shoulders all day long. If you feel that in your soul, the last 20 rec- minutes of this record are going are gonna to kill you, dude. They're going to tear you up because it's Looking really f- heavy stuff. Looking forward to having my day ruined then. Yeah. Um, no. But perfect. man, I, I couldn't, can't, I am so excited. And I will tell you, as far as an update real quick, I'll, I'll tell you, we're well on our way. We've got uh, half of the album drum-wise is tracked, maybe slightly less than half. Two of the songs are fully tracked. Um, and we're going to be doing another drum session here soon. But tomorrow I'll be picking up with uh, Tony, the guy who's producing with us. And, um, we're going to start getting uh, guitar sounds and we're possibly going to be using auto audio for this album. I'm not hundred percent sure yet, but I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. with that auto read and um, low throne. This is band. You've had them on when they were uh tetelestai or whatever they're. Oh, to tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Harry said it. Yeah. Yeah. That's auto read. He's, he's, he's developed a, a, a sim of, a, of, of guitar amps that okay. are like intentionally the heaviest thing you can ever hear. And, uh, I mean, you know, you hear bands like Meshuggah and like the tones are just so, and you're right. like, man, and there a lot of that stuff's digital, 
which is what he does. But um, we're we're looking into it. Um, be not because we want to be lazy and not do mics on amps. We're, we're going to be doing that too. But the thing is, this his sim sounds like mics on amps, and it's so heavy. Like like I don't even know, man. You guys, you gotta check that out. Auto audio, man. They're just sick tones, man. There's like hundreds of things you can choose to that do. that is somebody that i need to reach out to and you do and, and bring on to him i mean we he's, we, he's we, a game know, we, changer we've been we've been friends on Facebook. we talk you know every now and again but yeah, yeah. definitely i, I want to find out what makes him tick and uh and, and you know rip, rip some scabs off there too um, i he's so amazingly honed in on making heavy tones on a on a level that i i honestly don't i, I when you open up the, uh, I don't know how you pronounce it. The eleven eleven or whatever. It's it's just elevens. That's the name of his mm -hmm. sim. When you buy this thing and you open it up and you look at what's all there, I don't know how any human being could have just made that on their own without having like a having like a nervous breakdown. There's so much going on in that thing. He's like brilliant. I asked him what what are you, how are you doing all this? And he's like I just I'm obsessed with knowing more and yeah. learning more and more about it. The dude's a freaking very gifted individual, and his sim is beyond bonkers heavy. Any guys are trying to get heavy tones and are, they're into that sort of way of recording, I would highly recommend it. Autoaudio.net, I think it is. So yeah, anyway, but that's what we're tomorrow. I think we're gonna we're gonna dig into that and see if see if it's right for us and, and do it go from there. But yeah, man, things are happening. Really excited. Yeah. That, this is awesome, man. I, I this is the news that you know we've always wanted to talk about. This is the sort of the the thing that you know has been sort of the back and forth between us forever or for years has been like, dude, this album I need, I have it, it, it exists in my brain, and I need it out. You know, I'm so like when you know some people say like, hey, we we uh, the next one's going to be great or whatever, and they're maybe like scrambling around still making it or whatever. Yeah. Like I already have it demoed out completely and I can hear it as a demo and I can safely say with confidence that it is the best thing Rick and I have ever made. It will probably be the best thing we ever make. I don't know if we'll ever top it. Who knows? Because I don't write albums very quickly. But this particular album is just the one we are both... Because the thing about Rick, like I said, he hates tantrum music. We'll talk about it. But... Um, he particularly is really proud of it and that's kind of a that's a flag waving of like it's a good album because he never ever says anything he does is good with music i don't think i've ever heard him say he's proud of any of the albums we've ever made together i don't know if he's proud of the huntington's record he made i don't know i've never heard him say it this time he, he has sat back w with me a couple times and said man dude we got this album we've got something else man like like well, i'm really really proud of it and he's he said to me, I really want to make an album that I can finally just say, I'm so proud of this. And this is the one we, he has. So, yeah, man. I, I'm, I'm relieved, I should say, that that we are that we can say this because it's just, it's already done. It's already written. We just got to get it recorded and turn it in. Figure out some artwork, <laughs> which is probably going to be another disaster. But... Steven, thank you so much for this, man. This was I, no, I like you. this. This is my favorite chat you and I have done so far. Now, I didn't All hate right, the other ones. Place. I didn't hate the other ones either. But you know, I just I, I like I appreciate the honesty and the and the upfrontness. 
I can't wait to hear this record. I, I appreciate you having me on, and I, it is it has been nice to talk about things in a different kind of context, a healthier context, I guess. <laughs> like yeah. a, you certainly are definitely much healthier looking and sounding, and yeah, man, I'm happy for you and the new show, and um, it was cool to reflect on the band a little bit more deeply than just like, oh yeah, the album's cool, I like it, it rocks. Yeah, so, yeah. You made me think about stuff I hadn't thought about in a while, so so that's really cool too. So. Thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for checking out this episode of DFT's Dungeon. That one was a long one, but I can tell you, if you have not ever heard the band Unteachers or even Tantrum of the Muse, make sure to check them out. Steven's got a new album, as we talked about, that's coming that he was super excited to talk about. I'm excited to be hearing about it. And uh, guys, if you're excited about this podcast, let me know. Send me an email, dftdungeon at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash dftdungeon. And uh, you can always go to my website, www.dftdungeon.com. I'm on all the social media platforms. I'm on Twitter at dft9000. And uh, But the place that I'm at the most often is our Discord server, so make sure to click on the link that's in the show notes for this episode that will invite you to our Discord server where there are a bunch of people there that enjoy talking about the show, enjoy talking about music, enjoy sharing memes. So uh, if you want to get in on that or hang out or just have some cool discussions about music or movies or whatever... Uh, we're always having a good time there and I I highly recommend it. So uh, hopefully I will see you there. And if not, I will see you next week.